Uh, I'm a big movie fan, as you all know, and uh, one of my favorite movies is a good Disney classic called The Lion King. Who's seen The Lion King? If you haven't, I'm going to spoil it for you this morning. But it's 30 years old. That's your fault, not mine. You still got time to watch it. Uh, in The Lion King, there are it's a classic, and it has some songs in it that are classic songs like Hakuna Matata. Who knows Hakuna Matata? Sing it for me, because I'm not going to. Somebody start, Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. I'm waiting. I don't know all the words. I'm sorry. Uh, so that's one classic song. I'm cutting you off. Sorry. Uh, that's one classic song. There's another classic song from the movie called I Just Can't Wait to Be King. Who knows that song? That's the one Simba sings. Who wants to sing that one for me? Dalen raised her hand. Sing it. Give her a mic. <laughs> so that's a song that Simba sings that when you really think about what he's singing, it's kind of a, a prideful song because he's saying, I deserve to be king. This little lion cub singing, it's my time to be king. But if you know the movie, you know how it plays out. Because Simba defies his father Mufasa, it ends up in, in Mufasa's death. Uh, Mufasa is kind of and Simba are kind of drug into this trap by Scar, who is Mufasa's brother, Simba's uncle. And in that trap, Mufasa, protecting his son, ends up losing his life. And Scar points to Simba, blaming Simba, and says, Run away, Simba, and never come back. And if we're honest, sometimes that's what we hear in our faith. We mess up pretty bad sometimes. We do some things that, that just we know they don't honor God. And we hear, run away and never come back. You've gone too far. You've messed up too big. You have blew this chance to be with the Lord. And maybe you think to yourself, well, I was in such a good place with God. We were so close and now I feel like He's so distant. I feel like I've blown it all. And you hear that voice play in your head, just run away, don't come back. But really, the, the voice we really hear in our head is a question that I ask, I've asked myself, and I am certain that most of you have, what does God really think of you when you are in the middle of failure? What does He really think of you when you have gone too far and you have messed up? When you have caved to the pressure... What does God really think of you? When you've given in to temptation, sometimes you know you're giving in in the middle of it. When you've been in a toxic relationship and you're going back to that boyfriend or that girlfriend, what does God really think of you? When you turn back to those old habits that you know don't honor God, what does He really think of you? But... Maybe you've embarrassed yourself to the point where you just, you're so shameful or feel so guilty you don't want to be seen. And maybe you embarrassed yourself to the point where you even embarrassed your God. What does He really think of you in the middle of all that? We started looking at the, the resurrection week, Holy Week, through the eyes of Peter last week. And Peter found out the answer to this question the hard way. 
If you weren't here last week and you don't know the story, here's basically how it plays out. As they're leading up through Holy Week, they go to what we know is the Last Supper. If you've ever seen the painting of the Last Supper, that's not at all what it looked like because, I mean, that's kind of weird when you think they're all sitting behind the table, happen to be facing the artist. Anyways, in that scene... When they're at this Last Supper, Jesus tells all his disciples, you are all going to desert me. And Peter says, well, maybe they will, but I love you more. I'm not going anywhere. And then Jesus looks to Peter and says, well, not only are you going to desert me, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to say you don't even know who I am. And he's like, it's not going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to do it. I'll die first. And then the story continues to play out. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's standing before Uh, the trial right now and and Peter is there watching from a distance and he denies exactly what Jesus said he would do. He denies Jesus three times and then they meet eyes. And Jesus locks eyes with Peter. Peter looks into the face of his Savior who has been beaten and bloodied and he just breaks down and weeps over his sin and he runs away. And I would imagine the question that's running through his mind is, what does he really think of me? He's deserted not only his Savior, but his best friend in his greatest time of need. What does he really think of me? Jesus is hanging on the cross. Peter's nowhere to be found. He wasn't there comforting his friend. He's nowhere to be found. What does Jesus really think of me? And then on Sunday morning, the resurrection, the women find the empty tomb and they say, go. Or the angel in the tomb says, go. Get all the disciples and Peter. He singles Peter out. Not because Peter's not a disciple anymore, but because he wants Peter to know you're still included in this. Go, tell them to meet me. And at some point in there, we don't know how it plays out. Scripture doesn't speak to it, but it does tell us that Jesus and Peter met at some point. And we don't know what Jesus said to him. But I imagine the question still running through his mind. What does Jesus really think of me? In the book of John... It tells us that a while later, Peter and some other disciples, they're just hanging around. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Now that sounds like a typical guy response, right? You're dealing with stuff going on. Maybe you don't want to think about it anymore. So the response is, let's get in a boat. I'm going fishing. Maybe you're not a fisherman. Maybe your response is, I'm going for a walk or a hike. Or maybe it's like, I'm going to go shopping. I need some retail therapy. I just got to stop thinking about this. Peter says, I'm going fishing. Maybe he's just trying to kill time. Or maybe he's running away. Or maybe he's just filled with so much regret and still thinking about all that's going on. Or maybe he thinks it's all over and he's just going back to his former profession. He was a fisherman before he followed Jesus. And all the while, running through his mind, what does Jesus think of me? Scripture says they're out there fishing all night, and they don't catch anything. 
Not a single fish. It sounds like if I was to go fishing, I don't go fishing because I'm not going to catch anything, but I do have to take my son fishing because he's begging. We don't know how to fish. Tanner's going to teach us. I haven't fished since I was probably his age, to be honest with you. So they caught nothing. And, and then the scene plays out in such a beautiful way because while Peter is returning to his former way of life, running really, just trying to get away from what's happened, Jesus is chasing him. And, and the scene says, he shows up. But let, let's read what it says. In, in John 21, verse 4, Scripture will be on the screen today. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. So he showed up, and they don't recognize who he is. Now, they've been with him for three years. They should know who he is, but for whatever reason, they're prevented from seeing who he is. And that's actually a scene that plays out a few times after the resurrection. There's a story of two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus just shows up to walk next to them, and they're talking about all that's happened these last few days, about the Messiah being killed and being risen. Jesus is like, what you talking about? And he just kind of plays dumb. And, and these disciples, as they're walking along, Jesus just kind of like, yeah, tell me what you know. And he, they start to tell him about his own death and his own resurrection. Jesus just plays along. And then he starts to say, yeah, but wasn't that fulfilling some prophecy? And then he goes through the Old Testament prophecies and, and tells them how that all applied to the Messiah. They still have no idea who he is. And then they get to this place where they're staying and they're like, come in and have a meal with us. And Jesus is like, see you later. And kind of pretends, Scripture says, he pretends he's walking away. And like, no, please come in. So he's like, all right, I'll come in. And they go in, they're sitting there having a meal. They still have no idea what's going on. And, and then Jesus is just like, hey, it's me, see ya. And then he disappears. And they're like, oh, I felt something. I knew that this was something special. And what do they do? They get up and they run. Scripture says it's about seven miles. They run back to where the other disciples are at. And they get into the room with the other disciples. And they're like, Jesus was there. He showed up. And they tell them all that's going on. And then guess what happens? He doesn't walk through the door. He just appears in the room. And Scripture says they're terrified. What's funny about that is you know what he said to terrify them? Peace be with you. And they're like, oh no, that's Jesus. And it scares them. They should have been expecting this. The disciples, they should have recognized this. Verse 5. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? Now, my translation says fellows. Yours may say something else. From my study this week, really what the original text should have said is, and how it probably should be translated. I sound smart when I say it, but this is like smarter people than me to say that. Oh, nice. I'll just yell. That audio cable didn't work, by the way. We tried to fix the problems. didn't work. Sorry about that. Anyways, so... Let me get back to where I was. I lost my train of thought. Thanks a lot, guys. I know that's not your fault. So, anyways, fellows, that's what I was talking about. It should be more like little children. It's like Jesus is standing out there. Hey, little boys, which would be insulting to them. Although they were young, in their culture, they're still grown men. Hey, little boys, 
How's it going for you out there? Have you caught anything? You've gone back to what you used to do. Is it working out for you very well? And then their response is like mind-blowing. It's like such a pivotal thing. Their response is, no. That's all they say. They don't try to make excuses. They don't say, well, the weather's not great. It's just not a great time to fish. They just say, no. That's it. That's that's how they leave it. And then in verse 6, then he said, Jesus said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, you may be thinking, I know this story. I've heard it before. The story had already happened. This is the scene that plays out when Jesus first calls Peter to come and follow him. And now here is Jesus recreating this moment in Peter's greatest failure, recreating this moment when he first called Peter. It's a reminder to Peter, remember what I did. What does Jesus think of me? What does Jesus think of you? He thinks, remember when I first called you. You're not too far gone. Yeah, maybe you've denied me. Maybe you have done all kinds of things that you know don't honor me. You were not too far gone. And maybe when Jesus confronts Peter, our imagination would say he confronts him in this angry tone. Because sometimes when we think of God, we think he's an angry God. Peter, why did you deny me? That's not how it's playing out here. He says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. They don't even question it. I mean, these are professional fishermen. And they're like, all right, we'll try that. Then in verse 7. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed for the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. Now, when I read that scene, I kind of wonder, what's going on, Peter? Number one, he puts his clothes back on so he can jump in and swim. None of us do that, right? For some reason, that's where Peter's mind goes. He puts his clothes back on and he is just swimming. I imagine the tunic's weighing him down, so he's struggling to swim. And the other disciples, they're like, I got a boat. So he's struggling. to. They're only 100 yards away. I mean, that's a long time to swim, but it's not a long time to row. So he's struggling to get to the shore. And the disciples are like, hey, Peter, you want in? He's just swimming. Like, it's Peter. Just let Peter do what Peter does. He'll get there eventually. And he's just struggling, struggling to get there. Maybe he's trying to do it to prove something. Jesus, I denied you, but I'm putting in the work. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get back to you, Jesus. I'm coming close. Maybe he's just not thinking. He sees that's Jesus. I've got to get to him as quick as I can. 
Sometimes we are so far from God. Some of you are far from God right now. And you don't know the words to say to get back. You don't know what to do. You have no idea how, how am I going to get back to that intimacy with the Lord that I once had. I don't deserve it. So I'm going to work. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show God that I deserve for Him to, to welcome me back. I'm going to jump and I'm going to swim as hard as I can. But that's not what He wants from us. He just wants us to get back to Him. I could spend three weeks just talking about this story. But let's skip down for a minute. Let's go to verse 15. Because this is where I want to camp out for the rest of the morning. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, that's significant how he addresses him. Because it's, it's kind of like your parents calling you by your first, middle, and last name. It, it's like this is a serious moment. He doesn't call him Peter, the name that he had given him. He calls him by his given name, Simon, son of, son of John. And he says, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus asked the question again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Jesus had had three nails driven into his hands and his feet. Three days later, he's risen again. And now he's asking Peter three questions that are all the same question, but they're in response to Peter's denials. Peter says, I don't know you or don't know him. And Jesus says, do you love me? And it happens three times. But there's, there's a little nuance to the question. You see, the first time Jesus asks the question, he's asking with the word agape. He's saying, Peter, do you agape me? And agape is a type of love that is all sold out for Jesus. It's where you're fully committed. But Peter's response is, Lord, you know I phileo you. Phileo is like a brotherly love. So Jesus is saying, Peter, are you all in? Do you love me more than anything? And his response is, Lord, you know that I really care deeply for you. I like you a lot. And Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Then he asks him the second time, do you agape me? And Peter's response is again, Lord, you know that I really, really like you. I care a lot about you. And Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time. At the third time, he gets on Peter's level. And he says, do you phileo me? Do you really like me, Peter? And it breaks Peter. Because he knows that he can't say I'm all in. He just proved he wasn't. 
He denied him three times. And, and Jesus gets on his level. Do you really, really care for me? And Peter says, you know all things, Lord. You know that I do. He says, feed my sheep. And he doesn't say it in an angry voice. He doesn't say it like, if you love me, you certainly didn't look like it three days ago. If you love me, you certainly didn't prove it. In the hardest time, he says, all right, if you love me, let's move on. Go do what I called you to do. What does God think of you? In your deepest failure, what does he think of you? He thinks you messed up. But then he also thinks, I'm enough. He is enough. He is good enough to cover for that. And sometimes you're dominated by guilt. And you're overcome with shame. You just can't move past things that you've done in your past. You can't get over it. Begin to have doubts. And the question is, do you love Him? Not what have you done to deny Him. Do you love Him? And if the answer is yes, His response is, alright, let's move on. Let's get about the business of, of the kingdom. Let's move on. Maybe you're trying to prove yourself. Well, I'm going to get involved in everything. I'm going to I'll be at church seven days a week. Don't, because I'm not here seven days a week. I'm going to just do everything that's out there. I'm going to prove how much I love the Lord. He's saying, let's just move on. Let's get about the, the work of the kingdom. You don't have to prove anything. Maybe you're in that phase where it's still the I'll never deny you face. That face Peter was in before he denied the Lord. And he said, I, I'm not going to do it. I don't care what you say, Jesus, which is a dangerous thing anyways. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to deny you. I'll die first. Maybe you're in that phase where you think, I've got it. I'm in my Bible every single day. I'm doing all that it takes. I'm never going to deny the Lord. Maybe you're just drowning. You've jumped in. You're trying to work it all out yourself, but you can't stay above the water. And it's because you're trying to do it yourself in this, this self-righteousness, trying to make yourself good enough, and it's just pushing you further and further away from the Lord because you can't do it yourself. For a Christian, self-righteousness is the biggest obstacle to restoration. Because we put ourselves in the Lord's place and never give Him enough time to work in our life. And maybe you're in this room and you, you have no idea what I'm talking about because you've never had that relationship with the Lord. You've just pushed Him away. You're, you don't even care. Maybe He's calling you this morning. 
But it's not just a Jesus on the side kind of thing. Verse 18. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you were stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. It's not a self-righteous kind of thing where you, you, you do these things and you'll be good. It is full surrender to the point of death is what he's telling Peter. And, and he tells Peter how he's going to die, which is the same death Christ died on a cross. And you would think Peter would be distraught by this. But he's telling him how he is going to bring glory to God. And I imagine there's a relief to Peter. Even knowing how he's going to die. It, it reminds us of that what Jesus said in the book of Luke. That if you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross in order to follow him. In other words, everything goes after Jesus. Die to self and Jesus first. Then he says, follow me. The words that he said to Peter in that very first meeting. Follow me. It echoes that first calling. He has echoed the first scene where he kind of replays that whole fish thing that he did. He's recreated the scene where Peter denied him. Peter denied him three times over a charcoal fire. This is the only other place that I know of where a charcoal fire is mentioned in Scripture. He's recreated that scene, reminding Peter of what he was called to. But Peter's still Peter. Peter says a lot of dumb things. And just when you think he couldn't have done anything more dumb, Peter says, hold my beer. Well, he didn't say that. Hold my wine. That's what they had. I don't know what he said. But he's like, all right. Jesus, I'm going to die on a cross. I'm cool with that. And then he looks over at John. What about him? But what's going to happen to John? Does he get this same fate? And Jesus' response was, what's that to you? I, I almost imagine Jesus is kind of rolling his eyes saying, come on, Peter. I'm laying it all out for you. You're worried about John. This is about you. It has nothing to do with John. This is about your spiritual condition. I'm calling you. Don't worry about John. And then he says, as for you, follow me. Some of you in this room, we're on the flip side of that denial thing. We're on the flip side of failure. We've already done it. And we can't get past it. 
That, that question just keeps rattling in our head. What do you really think of me, Jesus? I messed up big. What do you really think of me? Some of us in, the, in this room, we're in the middle of the failure. It's like we are in the midst of it right now. Whatever it looks like. And we, we just can't figure out how to dig ourselves out of it. We don't know where we're going to turn. And Jesus is saying, do you love me? But let's move on. And then some of us in this room, we've got our toes dangling over the cliff. We're on that precipice of failure, getting ready to take a leap into something that we know doesn't honor God. And he's calling to us, do you love me? Don't, don't mess up that. Just come follow me. My way's better, he says. I've got a plan for you. The message of Peter's restoration that we see play out here is that you're not too far gone. I don't care what you've done. You are never too far gone to be restored to Christ. That wound, whatever it is, it can be healed. That relationship between another believer and between the Lord, it can be restored. But only by God's grace. This grace that he shows Peter throughout this story, Peter's lowest part of his life. What does God really think of you in failure? He says, I've already paid for it. I don't care what you've done, your failure's paid for. And now, you can find rest in him. I don't care how much you've messed up, you can find hope in him. You can find joy in him because the tomb is empty. He has already paid for your failure. Peter would go on to become one of the greatest evangelists to ever walk the face of the earth. And he, there's a record of a sermon he preached in the book of Acts and he answers the question, what must I do to be saved? And the, the answer is, repent and believe. It's not, you got to work for this. It's stop doing what you're doing. Stop chasing the world. Start chasing Jesus. Turn away from whatever your temptation is. Follow Jesus. Repent. And then confess Him as Lord. That that word believe, we've been talking about it a lot. It's not just a, yeah, Jesus is real. It's, I believe so much. Everything in my life is going to be about Jesus. Yeah, there's going to be Peter moments. But I love him. And he still has a plan for me. And I'm not too far gone. 
you'd bow your heads. Maybe you're in the midst of that failure right now. And you've been playing games with Jesus saying, wait till I get it right, then I'll come back. He's asking you right now, do you love him? And maybe you can't say, I don't, I agape you because you've not figured it out yet. But you can say, I care deeply about you. I want so much, Lord, to be in your presence. And his response is, I have a plan for you. Will you accept it? There's really three kinds of people in this room. There's those who are in the midst of failure or who have failed or are getting ready to fail. And you feel distant from God or whatever it may be. He's calling you to come back to him. And then there's those in this room who've never made a commitment to the Lord Jesus. He's asking you right now to enter into a relationship with him. And then there's those in this room who are in full-on rejection mode. You were drug in here by a family member or a friend. You don't even want to be here. But something happened this morning and God's knocking on your heart and you don't know what all this is about. The answer is repent and believe. And He will restore you. This morning as we close... Maybe you're in a place where you need to to just lay it down for God. The altar is open. Come, don't, don't wait. Move, confess. And maybe you're in a place where, where you realize, I am ready to take that leap and trust Jesus with my life. Step out this morning. I'll be down front. I would love to to walk you through what it looks like. If you need someone to pray with you, we've got people who will pray with you. If God is asking you to move, be obedient. Father in heaven, we love you. And as you're knocking on our hearts right now, asking some of us in this room the question in the middle of failure, do you love me? Lord, I pray that the answer is yes. I'm trying my best. God, would you restore them this morning? Would you show them the hope and the rest and the joy that they can find in you? And Lord, in a a crowd this size, there are people in this room who are not in a relationship with you. They've never repented and believed and given their life to you. God, show them that right now. Stop playing the games. They need to repent. Would you move this morning, Lord? In Jesus' name.